Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we dealt with the first two um, challenges yeah. that Job has to conventional wisdom. Then it transitions to the dialogues. This is what I wanted to do. Um, I still don't know what to do with Job chapter three. Like, how so? Because he's just. Well, I'm not sure exactly what. Like, this is the thing with Job and like wisdom literature in general is like there's a reason something's being said. Like, there's something that's being communicated that's trying to get the reader to reflect on something. But I'm not sure in Job chapter three what it is, or if it's just serving like a narrative purpose. If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm gonna read the verses real quick. Because he's basically just like despairing of his life. This well, not maybe not despairing for his life. That's a bad way to put it. Because despairing for his life means like would mean he doesn't believe he's going to live, which is actually the opposite sort of his, of what his point is, which is I wish I was dead. <laughs> like I wish I'd never existed. And I'm just not sure what to do with that. Like, is that just setting up uh, Eliphaz's response? And that's all there is. But at the same time, I feel like there's something in here that Job is trying to make a point. And I'm not sure. I'm, uh, I'm just and so that's up. why in the notes, Ooh. like my first thought was, um, where was it? Uh, yeah, in our notes, my first thought was this, like what I wrote down which is like, is it a challenge to sort of this notion like that it's like somehow improper to lament or it's somehow unrighteous to like, I don't want to say despair because it's not the term I want to use, but I guess maybe depressed. (laughs) This is maybe a more fitting word. Like, is that maybe something that Job is challenging there by saying that or that the book is trying to bring out? Because here's a righteous man who's like lost everything and he's just like totally broken. And like saying that I wish I'd never been born, like, why can't I just die? Um, like, is there a point in actually saying that? And, and that's my question, which is with Job chapter three. Because that's all Job chapter three is. I'm, I'm reading. Yeah, so I'm reading it real fast to catch up. Yeah. Man, goodness gracious, he is not having a good day. <laughs> because it did not shut the doors of my mother's room nor hide trouble from my eyes dear good gravy <laughs> i know oh that's really dark that's really it gets really dark really fast and it's tough too because Uh-oh. in there's no input from the narrator either like in job chapter well at the end of chapter one it says through all this job did not sin nor did he blame god and then in chapter two um it says something similar where is it Uh, like in all this job did not sin um Hmm. i don't know where it is in chapter two but it's somewhere in there but like but then nothing said after job speaks in chapter three and so we're kind of just left wondering like is and maybe that's the point and that's the frustrating thing about wisdom literature. And I did want to make a point of saying this is that it doesn't outright just tell you what the, what the meaning is. Like you have to search for it. And that's part of the value of wisdom literature. It's like, we're not just going to hand the lesson of the story to you. Like you have to figure it out. What, uh, 
give me one second, Job. What happened in two immediately preceding the passage? Because I, I always try to read it as if there's no chapter breakdown. So sometimes it helps me just to keep reading the replies. And just Because like, if the point is a conversation, especially for a conversation, like remember, like the, the chat, we talk about this a lot, the chapter and the title are arbitrary, even though they're like habitually there for us to use. Mm -hmm. So like, maybe it'll help us understand what he's getting at by hearing how the dialogue goes. But maybe that's the whole point of the narrative purpose. That's the start of the dialogue. And like, it's his first response to this trauma is like, I you know how they say it's better to love than lost than never to love it at all. He's more like, no, actually it's better to be dead. Mm. Like, you know, hot take. It's better to not have done any of it than to love than lost, you know? Like, I don't know. That's that's what I'm reading, but I, I, we can go through two and I'll read through four real quick. We can get an idea maybe of the context of the conversation. And maybe that'll help us kind of like piece together what's going on exactly. Because I feel like, I feel like understanding the flow of it is the piece that we're missing. Does that make sense? Yes. Or am I, because you're right, and wisdom. You're just like, saying that made me wonder. Mm -hmm. It just made me wonder like if that's another thing where Joe parallels Ecclesiastes because it's essentially Ecclesiastes. Yeah. But like in one of the points that the author there makes is I like how you put it like, well, better to have loved and lost or to, than to have never loved at all. It's like, well, better to have lived and lost. And Job's like, no, it's just better to have not lived. <laughs> He's like, because living sucks. But actually life is pain. So yeah. and that's what kick rocks. And that's what the author of Ecclesiastes essentially says, like living sucks. <laughs> like, although he casts, he does it in light of, like ultimate purpose of like, yeah. like, well, what do you get out of life? And that's supposedly what makes it worthwhile. And then the author's like, well, you can't really predict that. So don't use that as your measurement, but it doesn't matter. But yeah, anyways, the context. So yeah, right before this is his, his wife tells him to curse God and die. Job says, no. And instead I just wish I was Then dead. his friends come. Yes, basically. So then his friends come to comfort him, but to sympathize with him which is interesting. Um, then they sit down with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word. Um, and then we have Job speaking. Mm. So they've all been there for like seven days. Listen to this. This is Eliphaz. But now trouble, com trouble comes to you and you're discouraged. It strikes you and you're dismayed. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? This is really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, consider now who being innocent has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I've observed those who plow evil. And then he's just basically suggesting that you must have done something wrong you didn't know, right? Exactly, yeah. And that's the that's the first main point that starts coming up too in this next segment. But I liked how on Bible Gateway, um, where they wrote this out, they actually put in a divide between six and seven, which I think narratively the flow like that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like because six is making one point and then seven starting a new one because six is basically. Um, Do you think that the whole point of this and Ben, maybe this is really dumb, but it's been a couple of weeks. Do you think that the whole point of this is, is really questioning the moral order of the universe? Like, and what I mean by that is like the struck, like this is so basic, but like, you know what I'm saying? It does come up, yeah. Yeah. Like in the narrative, I think Job makes that point where ultimately he's just like, you know, I don't believe, I don't know if he says I don't believe there's any greater system of justice. I think he kind of does make that point. At the very least, what he ends up doing is he ends up 
blaming God or accusing God of not caring about the moral order and just disregarding mm-hmm. it. Um, I do know that happens, but yeah. But yeah, this sort of starts yeah. the deconstruction <laughs> of the idea. But anyway, so back to what I was doing a really bad job of saying. Go for it. It seems like in Job chapter four, verses one through six, Eliphaz is responding to Job's lament. And then verse seven begins uh, Eliphaz's accusation against Job. Like in my mind, that seems to be the flow. And I think maybe there's something of value there. I don't know. And that's what I'm struggling with. Well, I guess what stuck out to me with verse six, verse five and six, is kind of that thing of, it's almost like Eliphaz is saying, like, if you were pious, and if you did have integrity, then why are you lamenting? As though it's somehow an immoral thing to do, to lament. And that's sort of why in the notes I I uh, called out verse 6. To accept your lot in life. Well, verses, yeah, verses 5 and 6. Yeah. Um, on a separate note, I once read a really interesting paper about why... Um, the more modern Protestant interpretation of accepting one's lot in life, preferably that interpreted by sociologist Max Weber, Bieber, however you pronounce it, um, how that actually plays into the uh, income inequality and how complacency within the middle class people has prevented them from pushing for more fair wages, thus allowing the wage gap to grow. Um, it was a really, really interesting like economic study. I think the discussion points should be what we were kind of just like, the implications, because like the, the point of the conversation is like when you read good literature, it's not telling you explicitly do this. And I think the temptation is to interpret biblical texts that way rather than understand what they could mean or what they're trying to get at and like really get into the nuance yeah. of it. Um, so maybe both things are true. Maybe Job is right to be angry and lament, but it's equally as right to say, no, your hope comes from your piety and that maybe your obedience does provide like God's providence does is part of your obedience to him. Um, and maybe, maybe we can, I don't know. I, do you think that it too much, the whole nar- meta narrative critique, like totally dismantles the idea that like God's providence to some extent is contingent on your obedience? Because the reason I'm asking is like, how does that apply to provenient grace? Cause grace does go before, but like, would that provenient grace disappear if you weren't a, obedient or is it always there and then again how do we understand obedience in light of provenient grace does that make sense what i'm saying uh-huh. you look like you have a headache are you good no i'm processing it <laughs> that's a really good thought that's a hard thing to address um because well, i didn't sure. pick joe because so. i feel like <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the whole yeah, the whole meta narrative thing. You're right. Like, okay, like, oh, jeez, that's tough. Does our piety affect uh, God's providence? And then you get into the whole like salvation by faith or salvation by works. But then it's tricky though because can I really blow your mind? Yes. It's both to be to be truth, but can I really blow your mind? Yeah, yeah. To me, to me, this boils down. Oh, sorry. There's huge lag on my screen. Like I literally, you're still doing this. 
for me. And like looking down like you have a headache. Uh, um, that's okay. It'll all work out in the end. Yeah. And then every, okay. Um, anyway, so do you know who John Green is? He's an author. He did like a fall of Mars stars and turtles all the way down and like paper towns and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's an author and he does teach master's level courses in Indianapolis. I think he used to teach at IUPU. I don't know if he's still there or anything, but anyway, um, he does a YouTube channel. He talks about like textual criticisms as it pertains to like literature rather than biblical criticism. Right. So I think this is where we have to like really kind of start thinking about the bigger picture here. So the, the idea is that he said, whether it is authorial intent or our interpretation of the text, it doesn't, that, that conversation is like, it seems to me doesn't matter as much nowadays. He's like, one has come to flip one on its head, but it can't be in either or situation because regardless, both things are happening simultaneously. So it's, what is that conjoined meaning that we can grasp? You know what I mean? And and does that make one thing more right than the other? Who's to say? And what's our line for that? You're like, great, that's basic criticism. Thank you, Jordan, for repeating that. But here's what my argument is. I think that when it comes to Job, <laughs> as contrasted to like Pauline literature or even general history, we can all look as as the United, like as a world, and look at like historical documents about the person of Caesar and Rome and say, Yeah, that probably happened the way it said. And we and it's approved because of consensus and use. For Job and for the uh, the New Testament, that is held through church tradition. Its entire meaning and t- context truly can't be understood devoid of church tradition because who's been keeping that and generally agreeing upon what's going on? So when we search for ethereal intent, I think sometimes you leave out the broader picture, which is the fact that all this came about because somebody kept it to begin with. And yes, ethereal intent is good, but it's not the sale be all. To what extent has it spoke to the church in and those preceding it during the time of its existence for a piece of literature. Does that make any sense? So for Job, yes, the implication would, yeah, for Job, the implication would be that it's about the conversation. So you don't have to necessarily have specific talking points as much as we highlight what the conversation is asking and what they're proposing hmm. and how those ideas flesh out. So I think it takes pressure off us. Does that make sense? It's okay. No, the thing I'm wrestling with is trying to figure out what are those questions that it's trying to raise. So that that's the struggle for me but um but i appreciated what you said this is what i'm if anything it might be interesting to bring up i think i went on a tangent accidentally with the sola fide or whatever um by faith alone or by works justification but okay so no it's it's a relevant question is essentially saying Eliphaz, in response to Job's lamenting, is saying, you should take comfort in your piety and in your righteousness because that affects God's providence. And he's saying it as though that's the conventional wisdom. And it's, and it's just sort of taking it at that, where it almost seems like Eliphaz is understanding Job's lament as possibly affecting how God will work in his life. If Job is lamenting, then that is going to bring negative consequences to him. And I wonder if, if I read it correctly. Yes. As okay. if the last three things that happened to you didn't matter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. But if that, if that's, case, know how to read the room. <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting conversation to have especially in light of our 
uh, sort of modern postmodern church movement, which is very much based on like positive feeling and like a very strong emphasis on that to a point where like we tend to disregard like negative feelings, like in very unhealthy ways. And I think one of the ways Job can speak into that is by maybe challenging that idea and saying, is that wrong? Or is Job's action here actually understandable? And I don't want to say excusable, but I almost want to say, and is it right to some degree? Is it reasonable? Maybe not right. Is it appropriate? Yeah, appropriate or reasonable. But the tough thing with that is it's not as though Job's friends, and I actually made a note of this on the Google Doc. It's way at the bottom. I wrote a couple paragraphs just to summarize some of my thoughts. It's interesting because Job's friends are not always right, and they're but they're also not always wrong, and neither is Job. That's like the point. some of the things they say is like this is actually a really good point that they're making that they're reflecting on, and so it's hard to know, especially in this case, like is Eliphaz's comment of basically saying Job, your lament is a bad idea, like don't do this, like something like that. Is it like should we just dismiss that, or is there actually some value there too? So it's like where, yeah, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, it's a very complex thing, no. and that's why I sort of bolded and underlined what I did there, which is sort of the conclusion I was getting at. Which that's No, I agree. Uh, no, that's that's the crux. So what if we did a cold open, right? What if we did a cold open by talking about being uncomfortable today? Because we're going to make you work for okay. it a little bit. That's a weird phrase. Uh, we're going to make you uh, do a little bit of work today if you want to actually do well with Job. And we're going to talk about the questions it asks, but neither one of us are going to pre- present an answer, right? We're simply just going to ask the questions, do some dialogue back and forth. And if we come to our own conclusions, that's fine. But please don't take it as gospel because it absolutely is not. You know what I mean? But we could we could do that cold open or I could do the cold open if you want, just to kind of let us go like right in like, hey. And, and so that way we can kind of get them to the point. So like I'm going to equate it to reading literature like John Steinbeck or even reading literature like uh, Fyodor Dostoevsky. Why would I do that is simply because when you read those books, a lot of the crux of the story is what happens in dialogue, characters talking to each other, specifically the Brothers Karamazov. Like the story is really boring. It's literally like dudes walking around Russia from a hometown of a total of like three square miles. You know what I mean? Nothing like nothing happens. They just literally talk and argue and debate each other about the merits of church. But the most interesting thing about the book is like the dialogue and how the brothers like represent different perspectives and you hear them think and it makes you think about those issues of like, what is justice? What is God's justice? You know, and that's the whole point of Job. So people don't like reading high end literature because it makes them work. And it's really, really nice when pastors and when churches prepackage simple, like, here's how it is for you. That's why we love sermons. It's really the truth of why we love sermons rather mm-hmm. than reading Bibles on our own. And that's why people for some devotionals don't read the Bible. They just listen to sermons. Not because I'm trying to be mean to them, but I'm just trying to be honest. Like, if you really want to know, like, do the work, you know what I mean? Like, learn and do it mm-hmm. um, and trust that the Holy Spirit's going to be guiding you in that process. Not to say that the Holy Spirit's not in that sermon, but there's interesting earning it and being spoon fed. But I think if we did something like that today, like, it can be kind of a fun little cold open. It'll set the set the tone for the rest of our pod. So you're right. We jump right into three with the lament. 
I want you to start discussing like what they're saying. And we start asking questions about what is making us think about, because honestly, what else can we do? Like, should we like, cause we can't like, we can highlight the points that they're trying to make to some extent or highlight how some of the questions are relevant, but I don't, I don't know that that makes sense. So we can do that. And then we can just kind of talk about lament, you know, the merits of lament, you know, and then secondly, like righteous, prosper, wicked suffer. And then we can close. Do you think that's a good idea? That way it doesn't require us to like come up with points. It just comes with, requires us to know what's going on and talk about it. Yeah. If, if you're comfortable with it, I think that. Are works. you comfortable with it? Cause I'm comfortable with whatever, dude. Yeah. I'm comfortable with it. Um, at some point, and I think I'll do this as part of the opening, whoever does it, and we'll have to figure that out. I might actually say this part. Do you think that's okay? Like, I mean, but you reading it, do you think that this sounds clear or is it just like, yeah, we'll just keep that in the notes for us. What if I did something like this? I opened with a cold open and I was just like, hello, thanks for coming to our show tonight. And like, you know, something fun after you do your intro, like your simple intro. So like, I will give it a little, like a minute or two gap after you do your intro. And I'll be like, hello, thank you for coming to our show tonight. Uh, you know, today we're going to do something we've probably not ever done before. Well, not in this way. We're going to ask you to do more work in this podcast. This is not the kind of sit back and listen podcast. That's not to say that you can't sit back and listen, but it's simply to say that if you sit back and listen, you won't actually really benefit from listening to us today. What we're going to ask you to do is ask the questions that we're asking today and see what your answers are and figure out what is actually going on. And then I, that would transition to you. You can be like, and we could say, so we're going over the book of Job and we're going to be specifically focusing on the dialogue starting in book three or chapter three to chapter eight. And then you could say these in these dialogues, you know, there's not a clear winner. No one's right. No one's wrong. Cause Job's friends are not always right. Neither is Job. And then you like, you could jump in for the sub point and that would be a really good cold open. Mm-hmm. And then we can just get into the conversation themselves and talk about what they're asking and like, okay, here are the questions we got to wrestle with today. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah, I'm the only that. thing I want to do, cause you have a couple things written down is maybe get some, like just as a point of reference. So we don't get like too lost some questions in advance that we know that they ask. Plus it helps me stay organized. So I, when I'm riffing on a question or like what it makes me think of, I have a reference point and anchor to get back to. Um, so as far as, and I did highlighted verses. So all the verses you see that I put in the Google doc are just the ones that I, that I'm planning on having read either. Mm. It's, it's you or me. Um, and I have it on another screen too, where I have them highlighted in context. Um, just to like, those articulate the heart of those segments. Yeah. So for Job's lament, it's those ones, but then you also have, um, it's actually here. I need to make that break more clear, but regardless, uh, then you have Eliphaz's response, which kind of gives that sort of tension that's at play there where you have Job lamenting and then Eliphaz essentially saying it's wrong to lament. So, okay, there's something there that we can, grapple with and i really need to rewrite this because i think i got it wrong (laughs) people what this part um where i put down that maybe the point or maybe something for us to discuss is is optimism about our positions in life a requirement of righteousness i.e do we need to have a things will get better mentality like is that a requirement uh that's a really hard question for me a good way to put it no i think it's a great question that's a hard question because like interpreting this in light of job 
it's a great question. Interpreting this light in the light of like a modern Christianity with the hope of a resurrection, like I would argue yes and no simultaneously. Like it's okay to be frustrated and no, but like to some extent, like your anchor and the core of your being should be to some extent like reliant and, and grateful and, and at least anticipatory of that resurrection time, even if it's incredibly painful and even if you're not even ready for it to happen, like that that is a that is a winning moment. It's a powerful moment. So like yes and no simultaneously, like no, you shouldn't be like, I can't wait till we go back, we get resurrected. It's the same thing as I can't wait till I get sucked up into heaven. You know, like I, it's it, that's dumb, you know. But like at the same time, mm-hmm. like being I don't know. It's like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like when you're married, when you first are together, like you have those like gaga eyes and you guys are like lovey-dovey. It's like that natural first year and a mm-hmm. half or two years because your body and your brain are react. You know what I'm talking about? You've ever heard that brain science or whatever? Yeah. And then after yeah. that, like it changes and like now you go from like, oh, they're not perfect to like, oh, they got some flaws, but you know what? I actually appreciate them in spite of that. And then that kind of grows and develops. And that's the real crux and foundation of like a meaningful relationship. I would say it's the same thing for the resurrection. Like if you get, if you can't get past the whole, like, oh, I can't wait. You get this deep appreciation for how it affects you and like how that hope fundamentally changes you and like how you can feel hopeless, but you can also rest in the fact that you're not hopeless. So you may not be able to change how you feel at the moment, but, but you can rest Mm -hmm. and at least have some like, purpose and anchor tethering you to reality that like, but ultimately though, something will get better, even if it's not in my lifetime, like it will be better again. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I wonder if this is why in my pastoral ministry class, one of the things we talked about was how happiness and pursuing happiness is actually, I think we actually defined it as a sin (laughs) because in order to be happy, like to be in that state of like, well, everything's fine and everything's dandy is actually incredibly ignorant of reality. And then it, it does not allow us to actually uh, address any of the problems that we see in life. And I think that might be something that's connected to this idea of, um, sorry, give me a second here. Sure. It's a lot. These are big questions and like of, we're riffing. So you're good. Yeah. Of certainly acknowledging, yes, it, at the end, everything will be made right. Um, if someone is wronged or if someone has done wrong, they don't get away with it in the end. But there still needs to be an acknowledgement of the pain that exists now. And the fact that some things may not be made right in this life. And that is something worth lamenting. And the suffering that exists is something worth lamenting. Otherwise, it'd be like going to people who are suffering and saying, well, don't worry, everything's going to get better. So stop feeling sorry for yourself. And it's and it's, it's, it's a position of ignorance, ultimately, to try and pretend as though those feelings that we would associate as like negative feelings, which that's a good term for them, but it's not like negative feelings are bad. And I think that that association has been made, even among Christian circles, where we feel like, I mean, you know, a la Norman Vincent Peale's theology, which is any negative feeling is unchristian, so you can't have any of those. Obviously, that's a very extreme view, but we still sort of carry these views, where it's like even in Sunday morning services, everyone wants to walk away feeling good about something. Like They want to feel positive. They want to feel hopeful. Um, 
And that's part of the reason why I love Good Friday services, because that's a good opportunity for us to intentionally have a service where we make sure people don't feel that way. <laughs> because it's like there there is something broken in our world. And to pretend that everything is okay is actually wrong. And it is a good thing to feel that reality and like to really sit in it and experience it, which is what Job does. Um, and his friend uh, chastises him for incorrectly, I might add, but still chastises him for it, which I think is a decent reflection of our attitude towards it today. There, I think I just articulated the point I was trying to get to. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. Was it too wordy? I need to make it less wordy. Oh, we can nail it down. I liked where you're going. Um, but we'll, I, I think when you get to the moment, we'll be there. So let's do this. Let's start organizing our thoughts then so we have some tethering points. So we're we're now in section okay. three. You, do you want to just read that first section or I can read that first section? The whole section or just those verses? The ones, that, yeah, the ones that you mentioned, like, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the room? Why was I not hidden away from the ground like a stillborn child? Good God, I really don't want to read that, but I'll read it. Um well, that's the dark part. Like he gets dark. No, I know. I just like, it's just hard to read, man. It's just a hard place yeah. to read. Um, okay. So yeah. So we'll start the first section talking about, this is Job's lament after everything's gone wrong and friends, blah, blah, blah context. And then we're going to highlight some verses here that articulate Job's lament. And then we read it. And then we read those two verses of Eliphaz's response, and then we can deal with the questions that it raises. Like that? I, I move the point down to after he talks so we can just flow better. In which case, this should all move too, but eh, whatever. All right, then we'll riff about that, talk about that. Then we'll get to... All right, this is... Yeah. Then the next major section is this okay so this is consider now eliphaz again yeah consider now blah 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 and then job's response to that and then you have bildad's response bildad's response to job and then that brings in the last thing that we'll talk about today which is a very major uh conversation on morality which is that people suffer because they're wicked. Alternatively, people prosper because they're righteous. And then I put in a modern application. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. People succeed because they're correct. What do you mean? Well, it's kind of like one of those things. I've noticed this, and I don't know if this is just me being cynical. It definitely could be. I just find it how if someone's successful, however you want to define that term, then that means whatever they're doing is right. Hmm. I see this a lot in young adult stuff because that's what I'm studying. Like people are like, oh, well, this church has a lot of young adults and they're seeing a lot of, you know, activity, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, what they're doing must be right. And and I understand logic. I understand the logic behind it. I'm not going to disagree with the logic behind it, but is that a fallacy that we should reflect on? Or maybe another way to say it is to make it more to do with morality, which is really what this is talking about. Um, 
I don't know how I want to say this. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe there's not anything else there. But I did like that sub point I mentioned earlier this week when I talked to you. I didn't have I didn't write it down here. I need to do that. Um you can answer that if you need to. What what were we talking about earlier? How did I put it? I don't remember. That if someone Like if you get in a disagreement with someone or if someone hurts you that there must have been something you did. Yeah, the blame victim that's also blaming like culture. S- sort of a smaller point that's made that's made here. Yeah. And it's true. Like it's a real thing because we're cathartic. And so whenever a situation becomes very uncomfortable for us, we want to rectify it, even to the extent of like like putting ourselves in the position of the person who caused the problem or whatever. And like sort of the, like the battered wife syndrome. Yeah. Which, I mean, I like, I hate that term, no, but, but, but it's true. Yeah. Like we tend to do that. Well, I mean, think about even the whole me too movement. People are like, Oh, I don't want to be canceled, but it's like, we didn't, we doubted these women for years. And like, what's the alternative that like these really successful people that we read their books and like follow their advice. Cause we want to make money like them, like are actually horrible human beings. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah. th- that there's some, there's some frustrating things there or like in the sense of like Bill Cosby or Harvey Weinstein, right? Like, Oh, I, I liked the, I liked the Cosby show. I really enjoyed that show. It helped me like I was a kid and I was, I grew up watching it and it was nice to have that family and watch him parent. But he also like two things can be true. He can be a bad person who said something good. You know what I mean? And then like for Harvey Weinstein, little less justifiable he just made really good movies with tarantino so you know actually made a bunch of other companies too with disney too yeah i don't know but do you see what i'm saying though like a lot of people when that first happened in 2016 were like well what were they doing or even like christian colleges like wearing yoga pants will like tempt men into lust which at on the face of it sounds okay but to some extent is saying that you are responsible for their sin and problem, which I think is a really dangerous place to go. But that's exactly what's going on here. When someone attacks you, that's their problem. They're like doing something bad. And like, if you're attacked in the street, like jump by a gang, you know, think about the way, like you hear people talk about it. Like, well, you were just walking in the wrong neighborhood. Like, well, no, you should be able to walk wherever you want. What does it matter? It's arbitrary. <laughs> like, yeah, it may not just be the safest yeah. place, but like, what if you have to, what if they're, is a store there that has something that you desperately wanted that you've been saving up for. And you're like, dang, it's the last one in town. I got to go. I don't have a choice. You know what I mean? But like, are you're not responsible yeah. and like, you shouldn't have to be afraid to go in certain neighborhoods. Like that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, I, I recognize it's a thing, but like, you know what I'm saying though? Like the point is like, because we've gotten to the point of we'll just accept it as it is, you know what I mean? And say it's your fault and then move on with it. We never actually take a moment to question, are these okay things? Which is maybe the whole point of Job. You know what I mean? Like, huh, wow, that's really meta. (laughs) Pro. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hmm. I feel like I'm in another universe right now. Yeah. Okay. We should record because we have some good thoughts. Whoever is listening, if if we actually, what we are we having people do Patreon for these pre show notes? No, I haven't set that up yet. Sorry. No. I, oh, I I'm sorry. You had a child. Or you're a little busy. Oh, I, I don't know, Ben. That's not a good enough excuse. Yeah, I know. It must have been something wrong that I did. You must have done something wrong. Uh, <laughs> That's why. Uh, oh, hold on. I got to tell you something funny. No, I was just going to say very quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. When I, Morgan no, was upstairs and I said, I was like, hey, we're recording tonight. And she goes, what? I was like, yeah, we're recording tonight. She's like, I thought you guys were taking a break. I was like, well, I thought it would take at least a week or two off, but I guess he didn't want to. She's like, if I were him, I'd take like two months off. She's like, that's crazy. You just had a baby. And I was like, I mean, what do you want me to tell you? It's not like podcasting takes you out of the house. You're just doing your study. It's like you can't get up and go check on her. Yeah. Just blew her mind. (laughs) Anyway. Your thing. But no, that point you were making, I was like, man, that could be applicable to like all of like the large conversations we're having today, like in culture. You know, but it is though. I feel. That's the point. Like that's the whole point. Like I'm not saying you have to pick one side or the other, but I'm saying that when you get bogged down and like accepting isn't something is as it is, right? That's equally as fallacious as saying we should change it for the sake of changing it. Like two things can be true. Yeah. And like, that's the point of the dialogue is it's not going to be clear cut. you got to have that conversation out in its fullness. So like, I'm not saying that every person that's ever said you, this person rate me is, is saying an absolute fact. I'm just saying that like, it's a pretty big accusation. So people don't throw it around like, you know, playfully, you know what I mean? So like, maybe we should take them seriously or as it pertains to the, the neighborhood idea, you know, like I think it's ridiculous that you blamed a person that gets jumped and be like, you were just in the wrong neighborhood. Like, dude, like, why is it a bad, like, why, why are we okay with, first of all, why are we even okay to the fact that jumping happens in alleged bad neighborhoods? Whence did bad neighborhood become bad neighborhood? And why is it a bad neighborhood? What makes it a bad neighborhood? Like, these are the questions that you have to ask and they're real questions, right? Hmm. Sorry, does that make yeah. sense? Are we making the same point? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Can I also say something else meta that maybe Job does? Sure. Is like this trend of uh, we need to have a conversation about this. Like we need to have a conversation. Is all this going to do anything? And the funny thing is Job has 38 chapters of conversation and the conversations don't do anything. Like at the end of the book, the conversations don't affect anything. Stuff happens because God just does it. I'm not saying the conversations are pointless. I'm just saying I wonder if there's something there to challenge our understanding of maybe there's something else. Or maybe there is value in conversation, but it's a value that's different than what we tend to look for. But that'll be a conversation for later. <laughs> Speaking of conversation. I just thought I'd throw that out there if we're talking about getting meta with it. That's too mind-blowing. We're going to kick that can down the road, and we're going to deal with it next week. Because I don't think I can process <laughs> that information right now. <laughs> yeah, me neither. All right, so uh, do we need to figure out who's going to read what? Do uh, we want to do that? Or do we just want to go with the flow? Uh, how about this? Like, I'll read the first one, and then we just alternate. So I'll read Job's Why Did I Not Perish at Birth? and die as I came from the room or why was I not such, such and you can do Eliphaz and then I'll do the next Job or the next Eliphaz, excuse me. And then you can do Job's response or we can play characters if we have our own voices. It might help. 
I can't do that. You don't have to give it. You don't have to. Even no, no, you don't have to make a voice. Like they'll associate your voice with Job's talking. Oh. This person's talking on behalf of Job. We don't have to go that. That's that's way too much. But like, I'm always Job, and you're always Eliphaz, or something like that. I know that we have Bill Dads, so I guess I. I don't know. I hear you. Okay. Cool. So all right. So I'll do the opening, and then you'll do your opening. And then I'll just say what I wrote here. Um, yeah. And then we'll go into Job's lament and just start there. Yep. All right. Cool. Anything else we want to touch on or do we punch up into it? Uh, so do we decide who's Job and who's Eliphaz? Oh, no, we did. You're Job. I'm uh, Eliphaz. You You'll read the first one then. I'll make you do it since you can be Job. Uh, unless you want me to be Job because I have a J name. You be I'm Job. You can be Eliphaz, and I guess you can be Bildad too. That's okay. Because yeah. your reading voice is better than mine. If I if I'll be honest, is it though? I don't like my reading voice. I think your reading voice is just. I, fine. I like it. That's super nice, man. Ah, oh, fine. That's yeah, no problem. Feel touched. <laughs> I mean, All I'll right, do cool. voices so if you want me Job. to do voices. Like, I'll do it. I, I'm not happy about it, but I'll do it. Yeah, we'll just we'll just go with it. All right. So you'll be Job, I'll be Eliphaz. When we get to the second section, I guess I'll be Bildad also. Unless you want to do both. Well, you Bildad are a dad now. Bildad, but they're right next to each other. That's true. I'll be Bildad. All right. Answers that question. Cool. Anything else we want to go? No. Over? So just to prep, make sure we're good. You do the welcome back to the EMD uh, Campus Ministry podcast, such and such such. Just end it instead of kicking it to me. Just end it. And I'm going to give it a two second, like silent to give it kind of a dramatic opening. Cause I feel like that's thematically kind of funny, uh, not funny, but fitting. And then I'll just be like, hello, welcome to our show tonight. Actually. What? You know what? I want to change this a little bit. I already have pre-recorded uh, intros that I've used before. So we can just start with your cold open. Oh, sweet. That's more comfortable for you. Oh, I feel yeah. like that's more appropriate. Cause then I can like do a fade in and then you'll be the first thing. That's actually really good because the whole idea of a cold open is like like basically it's like if you're watching Saturday Night Live it just comes on and it's like right there you know what I mean all right yeah so you tell us when and do the clapping thing <laughs> 